0: Amen. If you'll please take your Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 3. Now, last week, as we are reading through the Bible together, and and as Ben said, I hope you are joining with us. If you've already gotten behind, and I know that's easy to do, I've had to play catch-up once or twice already. It happens. Uh, Or if you've not even started yet, that's okay. You can just jump in where we are. Uh, In the next few sermons, I'll kind of cover some of the stuff we've already read. So you please pick up a a reading plan or, or go online and download the app and join with us in our Bible reading. But last week, as we talked about creation, we talked about how God created a good world and good people whom He put in that world to do a good work. And that's really what we focused on last week, that... These good people were created in the image of God to reflect His character, to embody His rule and reign, and to partner with Him in continuing the work of creation. We see in Genesis 2 that God the Creator is also God the gardener. And He plants this garden in Eden and He puts the first man and woman there and He tasks them with working and tending the garden and enjoying that garden and helping it to flourish with more and more creativity. It's a beautiful garden, filled with peace, harmony. It's, it's very good, Genesis 1 says. You know, and as we look at our world today, we still see threads of the goodness and the beauty of God's world running throughout the world around us and throughout our lives, don't we? And those moments that we, just, uh, that we talked about last week, and so many, some, several of you shared about ways in which you seek to partner with God in the things that you do. But our world is is a patchwork quilt with dark threads as well. Threads of disaster, disease, brokenness, and evil run throughout our world and throughout our lives, through our relationships, through our very hearts. And the Bible calls this dark thread sin. And because of sin, we lost God. We lost that garden. Instead of... Walking with God in Genesis 3, we see people hiding from God. Instead of this beautiful, creative relationship with the world, we have natural disasters and diseases. Instead of harmony and peace, we have war and terrorism and broken marriages. What a paradox that the pinnacle of creation, human beings made in the image of a holy God, could become so profoundly fallen and depraved. Even good people, good moms and dads who love their children with all they have, they can lose their tempers. Generous business men and women can say things that wound or deceive. Hardworking and honest people can selfishly neglect the poor. No matter how good we might be, we can't escape the selfishness and the darkness that we find in the human heart. So let's look at Genesis 3 to discover just how this happened. How did we lose God in the garden? How has God's good and beautiful world become so broken? And this story isn't just the story of Adam and Eve, this is your story, and my story, and the story of every human being who lives. And the story begins with a snake, a tree, And a fatal bite. Look with me in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So here we see in this garden, God had given Adam and Eve every tree to enjoy, even the tree of life, except one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was off limits. Now, why was that? What was the deal with this tree? Why would God put this one tree in there and say, don't eat from that tree? Well, the, the word that we trans- that's often translated knowledge, if you look at that Hebrew word, the Hebrew word could be better translated determination. Or experience. It's not just a knowledge in the head sense. It's an experiential knowledge. And the idea is that this is the tree for experiencing and for determining good and evil. To eat of this tree was to reject God's definition of what's right and wrong, good and evil, and to make that determination for yourself. And the question is, when we see God put this tree in the garden, is will man and woman trust God's definition of what is right and wrong, good and evil, or would they choose to determine that for themselves? Will they follow God's path or will they follow their own path? Will they seek purpose, peace, and life from the giver of life or will they try to pursue those things on their own apart from Him? That's the question. And so we see enter here the, the villain, the first villain in, in, in the history of the world, the serpent. Now John tells us in Revelation 12:9 that this serpent was Satan himself. John writes this: "The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray." So we see Satan enter the scene. He has already set in his heart to rebel against God and he desires to take those who are made in God's image and lead them in rebellion as well. And so then we see the great lie. The great lie enters the scene that has been a part of human history from this time forward. It is the great lie that is at the source of all human suffering and evil. And it is the idea that Satan whispers and plants in Eve's mind that God is not good. That God doesn't really love you. That God is somehow holding out on you. He doesn't really have your best interests at heart and therefore you can't really trust Him. And Satan, when he whispers this lie, with it he makes a false promise. That if they eat from that tree, they will be like God. Now isn't that way temptation always is? Temptation always promises good things. And it always promises more than it can ever deliver. And see, the tragedy of this is that Adam and Eve were bearers of the image of God. They were already like God. They didn't need to eat from that tree. But that's what sin is. Sin is the rejection of God's goodness and love. It's the turning away from our relationship with Him. It's the attempt to have the good things in life apart from His grace. It's basically a declaration of independence from God. It's saying, God, I reject your voice and I reject the story that you're trying to tell for the world. Instead, I'm going to listen to another voice. I'm going to live my life according to a different story, a much smaller and sadder story. And we see that when Adam and Eve eat of the tree in that single action. The very good world of God was undermined, perverted, cursed. Shame and blame enter into a broken world. Now, we call the effects of sin the curse. Now, the curse is equal parts God's judgment and the natural effects of rejecting God and trying to live life apart from the life giver. So it's both God directly bringing judgment, but it's also just what happens when we turn from the light into the darkness. And basically, everything everything begins to unravel. Look with me at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, "'Where are you, Adam?' Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. Don't you just love that? And I ate it. It's her fault. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, let's skip verse 14 and 15. God curses the serpent there. And let's jump down to 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, "...because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." So Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, because he would live forever in eternal spiritual death and sin. That's why God says that. So the Lord God, as an act of mercy, banished them from the ground from which he uh, he had been taken, from Eden. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I want you to notice the threefold tragic effects of sin, which are reflected not only in this passage, but throughout the Bible, throughout human history, and in your life and mine as well. The first is physical. We see here that physically women now have to bear children in pain. People have to toil and labor in their work. Sickness and death become realities. Creation itself begins to unravel disasters, droughts, famines. Physically, people and all of creation begin to suffer harm. We see another tragic effect of sin socially. Man and woman hide from each other. The first thing that happens when their eyes are open from eating this fruit, the first thing that happens when they decide they can determine right and wrong for themselves is they're ashamed. And they hide their shame from one another. And then when God confronts them about their sin, what do they do? They blame. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. They start that age-old tradition of passing the buck. They will resent each other, God says. They will compete with each other for authority in the home. Socially, the world begins to unravel. And spiritually. Because not only do they hide from each other, they hide from God, don't they? Not only does Adam blame Eve, but he blames God. He says, the woman that you gave me, he blames God. They distrust God. Not only does physical death enter the world, as God said, but even worse, spiritual death. They become spiritually dead. Because people are now separated from God. They're at war with God. They're at war with each other, with themselves, with the creation. Instead of this perfect relationship with God where they're walking and talking with Him in the cool of the day, they're hiding in the bushes in shame. Rather than the garden being their home, they are exiled from it. They are cut off from the tree of life. Instead of this perfect partnership, Adam and Eve are now hiding from each other, blaming and distrusting each other. And instead of having dominion over creation, they have now become subject to creation. And we see this shame and blame-filled broken world. As we continue to read in Genesis, it spirals out of control. It's a world in free fall. Everything just gets worse and worse. The wickedness of the human heart grows and intensifies with each succeeding generation. We see Cain murders his brother Abel out of jealousy. He takes from his brother the gift of life given by the Creator, something only God should ever have the right to take. He extinguishes that breath of life in his brother and destroyed a fellow bearer of God's image. And where Cain murdered in the passion of the moment, we see then a next generation where Lamech turned murder and violence into a pursuit, a hobby. He bragged about being more vengeful than Cain. And Lamech began to acquire wives as if they were property. Now, I don't think anything highlights how fast humanity becomes so depraved like Genesis 4, verses 23 and 24. Look at those with me. And as you look at that, the first song in the Bible is the song that Adam sings in Genesis 2 when he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So Adam meets Eve for the first time, and he breaks out into a love song. It's the first song in the Bible. But I want you to look at the second song in the Bible. In Genesis 4, verses 23 through 24, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. The first love, the first song was a love song. The second song was bragging about violence and murder how far humanity had fallen in such a short time. And then we come to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, and we see the story of the flood, that sin had spread so quickly, was so pervasive in the hearts and minds of God's people, that that's all they thought of. And the story of the flood is a stark reminder of the destructive nature of sin, that the world cannot exist apart from God. And God's image in humanity has become so marred It was nearly unrecognizable. But in God's grace and mercy, he didn't want to wipe humanity completely from the face of the earth, so he chose Noah, the only righteous man alive, to preserve humanity and ensure that God's creation would never be completely devoid of his image. So then after that, people begin to grow, multiply again, and we come to another story. In chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, you would think that after the judgment of the flood, after that devastation, the people would have learned their lesson. But the sin nature still has not been dealt with. People, once again, turn against God in rebellion. They refuse to fill the earth. Instead, they strive to make a name for themselves. So rather than bearing God's image into the world... And glorifying His name, they only want to kind of circle the wagons and glorify their own name. And so God once again looks down on mankind's declaration of independence from its Creator and He destroys their tower, their city, confuses their language and scatters them over the earth. So when you come to the end of Genesis 11, you're left with a very serious question. Can humanity ever accurately represent God on earth? Can people ever really truly live as bearers of the image of the Creator? Is this human experiment an utter failure? And what will God do about the sin and rebelliousness of the human heart and the brokenness of His good world? And so we go once again to the snake, the tree, and the promise of a fatal blow. You see, the story, thank God, doesn't end with Genesis 11. There is a Genesis 12. But you know, it could have stopped right there at Genesis 11. It could have stopped with the flood. It could have stopped in Genesis chapter 3 with man and woman slinking off into the darkness, forever separated from God in the garden. God would have been within His rights as a holy Creator God to end the human experiment then and there. But because God is also a God of love and a God of grace, He kept the story going. In fact, He sets the stage right here in Genesis 3. In the wake of humanity's first act of rebellion, God sets the stage for an audacious plan to redeem the fallen human race. See, when God created the first man and woman in His image, He entered into a partner relationship with them. He would be their God. They would be His people. He would give them eternal life in the garden in perfect harmony with each other and joying all the great gifts of creation. Everything was theirs except for that one tree. And so God gave them in the beginning not only a promise, but He gave them a responsibility. They had one rule to follow. They had a job to do and they failed at both. But that's the nature of a covenant relationship with God. You see, God knows that while He is faithful to us, we won't be faithful to Him. And so in every covenant God ever makes throughout the Bible, God always provides a rescue clause in the contract. If His people rebel, yes, there will be consequences, but there will also be a second chance. And from the moment that sin entered the story, God had a plan in mind to rescue His creation from sin. Look back with me at Genesis 3. Those two verses we skipped, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And... I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What a strange promise. A future descendant of Eve will someday confront the snake. The snake will deliver a wounding bite to this man's heel, but this promised man will deliver a fatal blow to the snake's head. Romans 16.20 tells us that Jesus Christ is that promised seed of the woman who came to crush the serpent's head. Paul says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Jesus Christ. He fulfills this promise. He was born of a woman, a virgin. He suffered a wound from the bite of sin as He bore them on on Calvary's tree. And He died, but rose back to life three days later. And in that moment, when Jesus burst forth from that tomb alive, He crushed Satan's head under His heel. Amen? He took the power of death and sin away. Genesis 3 shows us a twofold pattern in the Bible. Yes, God is holy and will always judge sin, but God is also love and will always provide a way to be saved from judgment and rescued from sin. And that's the good news of the Bible. While we have taken God's good world and made it bad, God did not and God will not give up on us and His world. He will make it good again someday. In fact, He'll make it even better. The Revelation gives us a beautiful picture at the end of time where we see the effects of sin completely reversed. So let's go from the beginning of the story. Let's peek ahead. Spoiler alert. Let's jump to the end of the story. Look at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. is a picture of the fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 3. But to partake of this meal, to sit at this table with Jesus, and you are invited to this table. Jesus, as we sang earlier, welcomes everyone with open arms. But to accept an accepting invitation to this table is to accept an accepting invitation into a relationship with Jesus Christ First. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a relationship with Him that is transforming your life the way He will someday transform the entire world? Jesus Christ can make you new. He can and will forgive your sins and restore you to a relationship with your Creator, the relationship you were always meant to have. You see, when you become a Christian, when you confess your sins and you turn them over to Jesus and ask for His forgiveness... God's grace and power begins to erase the curse, begins to erase the effects of sin from your heart. You move from spiritual death to spiritual life as if you were born again. And you are no longer separated from God by your sin. And He welcomes you back into the garden of His presence. And someday when He comes back, you will live fully in the presence of God on a new earth. As a Christian if you've already experienced this transformation, if you've already confessed your sins and received God's grace, then we can reclaim our role as bearers of God's image. Like a light shining in the darkness, we can do the good work God has called us to do, not in ourself, but by His grace and power at work through us. And as God begins to put the world back together, He begins to take our wounded and broken relationships and make them whole. As Christians, we should love and serve and honor one another out of love and patience. We should reverse the divisiveness and the shame and the blame that we saw with Adam and Eve. This morning, will you come to faith in Jesus? If you've never trusted Him as your Lord and your Savior, will you come today as a Christian and reaffirm your commitment to follow Jesus, to bear His image in the world, to make disciples? And to do that good work that God has prepared for you to do. Maybe this morning what God needs you to do is to make right a relationship that's gone wrong in your life. Maybe there's been some blame and shame and divisiveness, some distrust and discord at home or with a friend or a coworker or someone in this room. Maybe you need to come and pray and ask God to help you forgive that person and restore that broken relationship. Paul tells us that before we come to the Lord's table, we should examine our hearts And we should make right those kinds of wrongs in our life so that we can partake of this Lord's table with a pure heart as we stand and sing, would you do that today? Would you come?